You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good. Buenos dias. Buongiorno. Ni hao and konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, one and all, young and old, to Abacabu Cafe, the Kimangure Orange Road podcast. My name is Jace Naomi, and I host this fine program. I want to thank you guys for tuning in today because we're going to be talking about television episode 42 entitled Such a Popular Madoka. Kyosuke finally confesses his feelings. This episode originally aired January 25th of 1988. It was directed by Suzuki Yoshio, and this is the one and only episode of Orange Road, including the OVA, to be directed by Suzuki. So one and done for Suzuki-san, but it's kind of a doozy of an episode. So if this is the only one you're going to have to your credit, why not a wild episode like this one? Today's episode was written by... Ohashi Yukiyoshi, and that's a name we should be well familiar with. Ohashi has written several episodes at this point, nine episodes, including this one. Ohashi most recently wrote episode 39. That was the Kasuga's Christmas Groundhog Day, where he repeats it over and over and over again until he gets it right or stops hitting himself in the head and resetting his day. As I mentioned, today's episode is a wild one. Ohashi has written some kind of um, crazy, off the wall, less popular in a modern context type of stuff. And notably in episode 23, that was the episode where Kasuga wanted to run the race with Ayukawa and she was not about it because that was like some goody two-shoes shit she didn't want to do. Um, and there was that moment where Kasuga had this like fantasy about talking to her all rough, like some kind of Yakuza and, and sort of smacking her around a little bit. And it was like, um, I don't know, that doesn't really play so well for modern audiences, like a guy smacking a lady around when they don't agree. You know, I think there's a lot in this episode this week that um, may not be super popular today in modern sensibilities, 
maybe a little bit viewed differently in Western eyes, but but certainly in modern sensibilities. I think there's a lot in this episode for us to dig into. And so there's a, a kernel of that in some of Ohashi's earlier writing. Now, today's episode begins with a reference to Gone with the Wind. How's that for intertextuality? Kosuke and Ayukua are watching a stage production, which seems fairly accurate to the original Hollywood film in terms of the dialogue. The translations of the dialogue and the subtitles match perfectly or near perfectly with the lines that are delivered in uh, the Hollywood production of Gone with the Wind that that everyone is no doubt uh, familiar with. And it, notably, Kasuga and Ayukawa are kind of dressed up, like Kasuga's got a coat and a tie on, which seems appropriate for going to the theater. The theater's a little bit more of a classy experience, and oftentimes people are expected to dress a bit more formally for that but it really looks like they're kind of on a nice date. I mean, she's dressed up, he's dressed up. They went out to the theater, just the two of them. They weren't dragged along by the group. They weren't going to support somebody. They just wanted to go see Gone with the Wind, I guess. Kosuga notes that all of the performers are women in the stage production. So we're setting the, the stage for the episode with this theatrical production of Gone with the Wind being solely comprised of uh, female actors, and that includes the ones portraying male roles like Rhett Butler. Now, if you go searching online for all-female theatrical troops, you will find the Takarazuka Review. And they're an all-girls theater troupe. They're based out of Takarazuka, Japan. This is a real-life, like outside of Orange Road, theater group, and they produce Western-style uh, theater adapted from film and novels like Gone with the Wind, amongst other things. So for them to adapt Gone with the Wind and have an all-female cast within Orange Road, it's a strong indication of something like the Takarazuka Review. Now, Kasuga seems intrigued, I guess, by the idea that the actors kissing are both women. Even though they're portraying a heterosexual male kissing a woman, that's what's being portrayed in the play within the episode. But Kasuga is acutely aware that both actors are female and that they're kissing as a part of their roles. In a voiceover, he says he's never seen anything like this before, referring to uh, two girls kissing. But I know that's bullshit because he's been inside of Komatsu's room before and that filthy future sex criminal has no less than a dozen pics of girls kissing plastered to his ceiling. And let's not even get started on plastering as it regards Komatsu's room. Now, despite the fact that they are artistically portraying a male-female heterosexual kiss, Kasuga still seems a little bit, I don't want to say weirded out, but he's noting the fact. It seems like he's still kind of oblivious to the existence of homosexual desires. Poor Yusaku. Of all the episodes for him to be left out of, given his long-standing and deep abiding love of Kasuga. Now, as soon as the play is done, that's teed us up for the episode, enter Sumire. And I wonder what does it mean that Kasuga initially assumes that the flowers and note that Sumire are carrying are intended for him? 
He even gets this kind of goofy smile, like, oh, are these for me? He has no reason to expect for Sumire to have a crush on him. She's never before been seen or mentioned in Orange Road. By all rights, he doesn't even know who this person is. I don't know about you, fine listener, but when I am approached by a stranger on the street and they're carrying a card and flowers, I don't initially assume that these things are for me. His assumptions indicate this expectation of heteronormativity. He sees a girl holding flowers. They're clearly a gift. They must be for him because the only other person on the sidewalk with him is a female. And and in Kasuga's mind, he he's thinking, well, a, a female doesn't give flowers to another female. That that would be abnormal. That's not expected by Kasuga. And this is happening mere seconds after Kasuga tells Ayukua that the play wasn't really his cup of tea. I'm not a tremendous fan of Gone with the Wind either, full disclosure, but it doesn't seem to be what Kasuga is referring to. Either Kasuga is trying to convince Ayukua, and maybe himself, that he's not into girls kissing, or he really is somewhat uncomfortable with the idea of women playing men in theater, or he's uncomfortable witnessing a homosexual kiss. Whatever the case, it does seem like Kasuga's default position is to expect heteronormativity in an interaction, and he's not prepared for any deviation from such expectation. Hence his surprise when Sumire completely bypasses and ignores him and gives the flowers and card over to Ayukua before running off. Here, Sumire seems to be a bit of a substitute for Akane, at least in the TV series. We do get to know Akane through a few of the OVA, but throughout the 48 episodes of the the main television series, we don't see the Akane character, and so Sumire seems to be standing in for her in this episode. Kasuga reading the note aloud is a little insensitive, though, and he laughs, and, and Master laughs, and... Ayukua is there to to rein them in, to remind them that they're not behaving appropriately. It's not surprising behavior from a teenager like Kasuga, but nonetheless, hopefully it's a learning experience. It's kind of, I mean, straight or gay, it's not nice to read somebody else's love note out loud, particularly if you're going to just laugh at it and kind of mock it. But hopefully this is an opportunity for Kasuga to grow from this. And I have to remark that Sumire's note to Ayukua is actually rather insightful of Ayukua. She describes Ayukua's eyes as hiding a sadness. Sumire is really paying attention to Ayukua. She kind of becomes an extension of the audience in that sense. She's a representation or an avatar for us within the diegesis of the show. Because we often see these images of Ayukua with this pensive, thoughtful, melancholy, almost sad, hint of sadness in her eyes. Like the end of the previous episode that we discussed last week, where when Kasuga is awoken by Shikaru's kiss, Ayukua is at first relieved that Kasuga is okay, but then there is that hint of sadness that comes over her face. And it's really kind of a masterful shot because it's wordless, but this this look of sadness and disappointment comes over her face and expressed largely through her eyes and the rest of her facial expressions a little bit more stoic, but the eyes tell the story. And, uh, and that's pretty great for animation. I mean, you know, you'd expect that of a live actor, but it's, it's great and, and really um, 
remarkable to see that in animation. And it's remarkable that Sumire is cued into that, just like we are, just like the audience. We see a flashback of Ayukuas in which she meets Sumire for the first time, and we learn that Sumire has become deeply infatuated with Ayukua in the same way as the rest of us did when Ayukua beats the shit out of a bunch of delinquent punks that were getting ready to sexually assault Sumire, it seems. Again, Sumire becomes like an extension of the audience. She's as infatuated with Ayukua and impressed by Ayukua's skills as we are watching her. Uma and Ushko break into Ayukua's flashback for a very quick cameo. They just show up right in the middle of a flashback, which is kind of weird because they don't interact with Ayukua during the flashback at all. So there's really no reason for her to recollect this cutaway, but they do cut away to Uma and Ushko in the middle of Ayukua's flashback. It's a weird kind of kooky. It doesn't fit narratively. Kind of like when they showed up in episode 10 when Shikari was sick and she was imagining Kasuga rushing over to her uh, to her bed to visit her and all concerned about her. And, and she was imagining this almost like a hospital setting and, and Uma Anushko invaded her daydream. They sort of invade the, the flashback here a little bit, although there's no notation by the characters of their presence. They just show up and, and Uma just shows up in the middle of a fight scene, which I guess is appropriate, but then he proceeds to put Ushko's goddamn teeth out. I mean, son, that was harsh. She's just trying to have your babies, dude. And shit, you got to fuck her up out of the blue like that? It's an easy contender. Top five, maybe even top three for the most random and nonsensical Uma and Ushko cameo of all time. We cut away from Ayukawa saving this poor girl, Sumire, to, to Umao and Ushko in full wrestling attire, and he's just putting his knee into Ushko's tonsils. It's over the top, it's ridiculous, but that's what we're here for. So Sumire is nearly sexually assaulted and then rescued by Ayukua, and there's this implication that, that happens with this, but it's just a reading of the material presented, but that her trauma at the hands of these punk guys immediately juxtaposed with her rescue uh, by Ayukua and her tender treatment by this, this woman rescuer is what sparks her romantic interest in Ayukua and, and women in general. The association that men are bad, men will um, perpetrate violence upon you and they will uh, corner you in a dark alley and, and they will attempt to sexually assault you, but a, a woman will uh, be more... Um, motherly or big sister type and she'll come to your rescue and she'll save you and she'll comfort you when you're uh, feeling scared or frightened she'll be there and have your back and so there's sort of that implication there that um you know her orientation Sumire's orientation isn't really expressly explored we know that she's developed a infatuation with Ayukua and that it stems from this incident uh, but whether or not she had feelings for women prior to that is never explicitly elaborated for us. Although we do see some details at the end that do indicate that she really is, at least at this point in her life, only seeking relationships with women. But apparently, at least according to Orange Road Logic, according to Ohashi, who wrote the episode, that is how you make a lesbian, folks. 
I think it's also safe for us to presume that because Sumire is a teenager, she's very young, that she's smack dab in the middle of a period where possibly she herself isn't fully aware of what she wants and that she's in the middle of developing her uh, orientation preferences as we speak. We're kind of witnessing that in this episode. And we cut back to Kasuga speaking with his sisters, and Jingaro is costumed a bit effeminately. He's got a red bow in his hair as he's being uh, blow-dried by Kurumi. And it's a little bit of light gender bending. I mean, we saw the uh, female actresses portraying males in the production of Gone with the Wind, specifically Rhett Butler, even with a fake mustache, uh, the, the, the woman portraying Rhett Butler was wearing a fake mustache. And, and here we see Jingro with, um, you know, red bow in his hair, kind of this effeminate, like what would you put on a, a lady cat to signal that it's a lady cat, right? The twins reveal that Ayukua is so desirable that basically all the girls want her too, right? That makes sense to me. I think that makes sense to most of us longtime Orange Road fans. Monami frames Ayukua's appeal to her same-sex juniors as them sort of looking up to her and admiring her, and that bleeds over into them wanting her romantically. They develop these crushes that stem from this admiration of Ayukua, and it does sound very much like what was portrayed in Ayukua's flashback of saving Sumire. Manami's view would seem to insinuate that Sumire and the other girl's homosexual desires for Ayukua stem from a mischaracterized or misinterpreted sense of admiration of Ayukua, which might leave the door open to presume that these girls are simply confused heterosexuals, which I think somewhat diminishes the filmmaker's attempt at a meaningful portrayal of a true lesbian character. There's something about the time and place and the intended audience of this episode that I think is somewhat of a constraint on the material and the way that it's presented here. Kasuga then has a, a lesbian daydream where he imagines Sumire and Ayukua outfitted just like the actors in the earlier all-woman production of Gone with the Wind. Ayukua is dressed as Rhett Butler and Sumire is dressed as Scarlet. And this shows us that Kasuga literally cannot imagine a lesbian relationship in a non-fantasy context. Does this say something about cishet males in 80s Japan? Is it an accurate reflection of commonplace attitudes towards lesbian relationships in a cishet teenage boy in 80s Japan? I mean, it seems somewhat natural for a young person, a teenager, awash in sex hormones to sexualize and and sort of romanticize this potential kiss between Ayukua and Sumire. So to some degree, it does seem a little bit indicative of real life that Kasuga would have imagined scenarios slash fantasies that looked like that. The next day, we see Sumire present Ayukua with yet more gifts. Ayukua seems at this point like she doesn't really know what to do either. For once, Ayukua seems like she's at a bit of a loss. It's similar to her disposition the night before after her first encounter with Sumire. She doesn't seem especially put off by Sumire's crush on her, like she doesn't 
seem to express any kind of revulsion or disgust at, at Sumire's homosexual attraction to her. At no point does Ayukawa react with some kind of like, ew, gross type of reaction. She seems very accepting of that. It's just that she's not available emotionally to Sumire. Now, Shikaru reassures Kasuga that Ayukawa is experienced at shaking off her female suitors. Shikaru actually describes them as problem girls, and it's unclear which character defined them as a problem, but it does seem like replacing the word gay with problem is not a very egalitarian outlook. And this is the type of thing that might not jive necessarily with modern day sensibilities. We don't tend to frame up someone being gay as a problem these days. The episode doesn't make it clear that the problem isn't homosexuality, but rather that these people are crushing on Ayukua and that she doesn't reciprocate those feelings. That would be a problem. If you like somebody and they don't like you back because they like somebody else, that's a problem. But but being gay is not a problem. Is this a reflection, again, of a certain subset of cultural attitudes in the time and the place in which this episode was released? Maybe. Also, it struck me as a little odd that it seems like Kasuga is discussing Ayukawa with Shikaru, who is like ostensibly his girlfriend on paper. It's weird that like, would he have told Shikaru that he was out the night before with Ayukawa on what very much looks like a date? It seems like he wouldn't want to divulge all of that to Shikaru. It seems very difficult uh, for him to maintain this dispassionate sort of attitude toward Ayukawa in his conversation with Shikaru if he's trying to ask Shikaru about Sumire and Ayukawa's point of view. Now, Shikaru assures Kasuga that everything's fine. Ayukawa can navigate Sumire's affections. It's immediately juxtaposed. I mean, we smash cut to Shikaru dashing towards Kasuga's apartment, and she's flipping out, she's screaming that Sumire has resolved to move in with Ayukawa. So she goes from, oh, don't worry, Ayukawa can handle it, cut to her yelling, everything's out of control, Ayukua clearly could not handle it. And I think that's meant to be a funny juxtaposition. And it is kind of that she goes from being super confident that no problemo and then cut to her running up the steps at his apartment, screaming the whole way, there's a big problemo. And we continue to see in the following scene that perhaps Ayukua really isn't as comfortable navigating the situation as Shikaru made it seem. For one thing, Ayukawa does not let Sumire down easily. She calls her rude and a nuisance, but then immediately looks guilty. There's a the camera lingers on Ayukawa's face for a moment where she she looks like it hurt a little bit. She felt badly being so harsh. But at the same time, Sumire was coming on scary strong, like someone who would kill you to wear your face skin. I mean, she just decided, hey, I'm gonna move in. Last night I gave you a gift. This morning I gave you a gift. We're not even dating yet. You just learned my name a week ago. By the way, this is my suitcase full of shit I'm moving in. Where's our bed? And for her part, Sumire big time overreacts. 
My existence is inconvenient. I should have never been born. Therefore, I should kill myself. And that's not two minutes after moving in. So the filmmakers are trying to make it like official. Sumire is batshit crazy. So it's not a very sensitive portrayal for the television series only lesbian character. I think that Sumire's characterization here is meant to make her less sympathetic to audiences so that viewers wouldn't accept her as a legitimate potential romantic partner for Ayukawa. But it's also at the cost of maligning their sole lesbian character prior to the introduction of Akane in the OVA. And it's sort of at this point in the episode anyway that they kind of shift away from Sumire being a, quote, problem because she's gay and over to Sumire being a problem because uh, she is just moving way too fast and uh, clearly stalker vibes, uh, threatening suicide. She's really just going too far in her machinations to get what she wants for her to be a sympathetic character. So in that sense, I think that was the right move for the filmmakers. Get away from associating gayness with low desirability. This character is an antagonist because she is gay. That's not a very good look. But framing it as this character is an antagonist because she won't take no for an answer. She's coming on too strong. She's really manipulating our main characters emotionally in a way that is uh, very uncool and very abusive. And so that is what eventually and more overwhelmingly frames her as this antagonistic character for this episode. So it was a good move to get away from the gay equals bad, therefore she's an antagonist type of thing. And maybe it could have gone that way. I'm glad they kind of got away from that a little bit towards the back half of the episode. I thought it was interesting that Kasuga's coat says boys, B-O-Y apostrophe S. And he's, of course, a male. I don't know why he's got to announce his sex, gender, slash orientation on his coat, but he does. I'm wondering, too, because it's like uh, boys. It's like uh, the possessive. So does it signify that he's property of one or more boys, like Yusaku, given the possessive form? I don't know, but I I feel like it is significant in this episode especially that Kasuga is wearing a coat with his gender orientation printed on it. It's not very subtle, but it's it can't be a coincidence. I mean, I don't feel like they just drew an English word out of a hat and it happened to be boys in an episode that deals specifically with gender, cross-dressing, and homosexuality. And Sumire clearly considers Kasuga to be a threat to her relationship with Ayukawa. I mentioned a moment ago that Sumire is kind of an extension of the audience within the episode, kind of like our avatar. And there is some meta elements to this episode in addition to that. So Sumire makes reference to characters in TV dramas that always interfere with the romance of the two principal characters. And she says that person is the worst. And in a meta context, we're watching a show where the two main characters are Ayukawa and Kasuga. And, and she's kind of that person this week. She is the one who's interfering with the main character's romance, particularly when she works to torpedo Kasuga's reputation. 
So she doesn't realize that she's also unknowingly referring to the way that Ayukawa comes between the established relationship that Shikaru and Kasuga share, at least on paper, within the, the context of the Orange Road narrative. I mean, to the public, Shikaru and Kasuga are dating, and Ayukawa is the interloper. We, as the audience, meta context, we realize that the relationship is really between Ayukawa and Kasuga. So, from a meta context, Sumire is referring to Shikaru, who is kind of a secondary character. She's not on the same primary tier as Ayukawa and Kasuga, and she really largely functions to. Uh, hold Ayukawa and Kasuga back from a relationship, kind of keep them in this will-they-won't-they territory uh, up to the series resolution. I mean, Shikaru's main function in the love triangle is a buffer. And we understand that as the audience. And Sumire being an extension of us in this episode maybe has some idea of what we're thinking as well because she was written to. And so there's some kind of tongue-in-cheek meta-commentary on uh, this type of television show, the, the, the romance and love triangle type of fiction. Sumire is also shown to be quite cunning and calculated. She already has a plan for dealing with Kasuga to get him out of the way in her pursuit of Ayukawa. She privately confesses feelings to Kasuga. She's actually in love with him. And this initially seems like a bit of a plot twist, but it's just to pull the rug out from under Kasuga and manipulate him. It's actually evidence of Sumire's very um, Machiavellian manipulation. She doesn't mind breaking Ayukua's shit either. She kind of trashes Ayukua's room in order to set up this ruse that Kasuga attacked her attempted to sexually assault her. I mean, it worked before with Ayukawa, right? Why not play that card again? Then it's very clear that, that Sumire is going to be ruthless in getting what she wants. She doesn't mind trashing Kasuga's reputation, painting him out to be a sexual assailant. She doesn't mind breaking all of Ayukawa's shit and trashing her room. And she really does play her cards right with Kasuga in this sense, knowing that he's a wishy-washy people-pleaser. He was easily maneuvered into a terrible position for blackmail. And of course, Komatsu and Hata somehow knew about Sumire mentioning that they'd heard that she'd gone to Ayukawa's. But honestly, I'm not sure how they could have heard that. Who would have told them? Why would anyone have told them? There's no reason for Ayukawa or Shikaru to have spoken with them. There's no indication that Ayukawa and Shikaru ever speak to Komatsu and Hata willingly. I'm really not sure how Kasuga could continue to associate with those two after this. It's not the type of thing that friends do to one another, like the public humiliation thing, and they get him into academic trouble too. That's the shit you do to your enemies. That's not the stuff you do to your friends. I just really think that no attempt is made on behalf of the filmmakers to explain how or why Komatsu and Hata knew about the Sumire situation in the first place, how they knew about her movements and when she's going to be showing up to Ayukawa's. It doesn't seem sensible that anybody would know outside of Ayukawa, and she called Shikaru and Kasuga to come over. But who cares? This is Orange Road. We don't ask such questions. We just needed Komatsu and Hata to show up to add this twist to the plot. 
which shows that Sumire seems to have won. Everyone mistrusts Kasuga. Ayukua has taken Sumire's side after she and Shikaru, I might add, literally pushed Kasuga to do something, anything, about Sumire without giving him any direction at all. I'm kind of wondering what the hell did they expect to happen? They just told Kasuga to do something about it, get rid of her. So it seems like Ayukua still wants to shake Sumire off, but doesn't have much of a plan. At this point in the episode, Sumire talks about lovers misunderstood by adults, and they ride a trolley off into their own world. This is set up for the train trolley imagery that's coming at the end of this episode. And Sumire mentions that she wants to ride that trolley with someone she loves, metaphorically speaking, to take that journey, I guess. Sumire mentions that these days, meaning 1988, the modern day from the context of this episode, it doesn't matter if a relationship is same sex or not. What matters is that the two people want to be together. She seems oblivious that in this case, two people do not want to be together. Only she does. But this also recollects the consistent theme throughout Orange Road concerning the stuffy old ways of the past and the mores of previous generations versus the new generation coming of age and how the new generation of young people see themselves as very progressive. They're rejecting these strict mores of the past that would uh, forbid same-sex relationships. Sumire is saying, hey, it's 1988. It's okay for two ladies to date each other these days, this day and age. It's at this point that Shikaru cooks up her own solution to the issue. Shikaru, amazingly, is the one who gets the shit solved this week. She initiates a game of telephone. So a rumor about Kasuga running away with Sumire morphs and evolves as it spreads across campus. At one point, Komatsu and Hata are sharing the rumor between themselves while dressed as girls and standing in the girls' locker room. While it seems like the type of shit those two future sex offender registrants would do to watch their female classmates undressing, it also seems like too much of a coincidence for them to be cross-dressing in the same episode that opened with actresses portraying males in a Japanese production of Gone with the Wind. It's a gag on the one hand, but it is in keeping with the themes of the episode. Of course, the rumor about Casca grows ever wilder, as finally all of the teachers hear that Kasuga is eloping with a male teacher. Shikaru's plan is revealed to have Kasuga act like he loves Ayukua. Of course, Ayukua and Kasuga's delivery of the lines that Shikaru feeds them makes it obvious that they're not just pretending. They actually mean it. And the framing of the shot is significant here, too. Suzuki cuts Shikaru out of the frame. Suzuki cuts her out. So that Ayukua and Kasuga are the only ones in the frame. They dominate the frame. Shikaru instructs them to kiss as if she's only just now reading that part of the script. But isn't this something that she's written? As Ayukua and Kasuga go in to kiss, it becomes obvious even to Shikaru that they're not acting. She gets super nervous and uh, starts yelling and waving her arms and completely ruins the whole act in Sumire's eyes. She sees right through it. But Shikaru nonetheless insists that Ayukua and Kasuga are true lovers and that anyone who tries to come between them should be mauled to death by dogs. 
A, it seems a little harsh, but B, it seems a little on the nose for her, given that her main purpose in the Orange Road narrative is to act as a buffer between Kasuga and Aikua. It's like she's unintentionally cursing herself to be mauled by wild dogs here. And ultimately, Ayuko and Kasuga use a trolley. I guess it's really more of a hand car. We would call that a hand car to escape Sumire Shikaru, the enraged teacher, the gossipy student body. And there is a sense of irony that Ayukua gets on the trolley with Kasuga instead of Sumire. And it's not lost on Sumire. She at last accepts that Ayukua's true affections are elsewhere. I mean, initially, she thought that the whole thing was a bluff and that Ayukua being in love with Kasuga and Kasuga being in love with Ayukua was just a ruse. It was an act to shake her off. But she does believe it when she sees them together on the hand car. And of course, for comedy, the hand car that Ayukua and Kasuga used to escape only brings them right back to the group of their pursuers that they were attempting to escape in the first place because the track is a loop. Their escape route only brought them right back around to the start. And this echoes the visual metaphor that we saw last week with the clock where a very Kasuga-like figurine pursues a very Ayukua-like figurine across this clock in perpetuity, completing a circuit around the clock to return to their starting point, only to then repeat the circuit again in the next hour. So this reminds us of cycles of life, things repeating themselves, da capo, start again from the beginning. This is a theme for the Orange Road television series, and the final episodes are going to make it really clear. So it's something that I'm going to mention again when we cover those last TV episodes, but I do want to mention now too, because we see it sprinkled in throughout the show. And Sumire suffers some heartbreak, but she bounces back. I suppose she kind of deserved it for her manipulative ways and her willingness to harm Kasuga, not to mention her outright refusal to allow Ayukua to even consent to their relationship. But she doesn't seem to learn her lesson. Instead, she shifts her affections over to Shikaru by the end of the episode. So again, this was the indication that I mentioned earlier that her infatuation with Ayukua doesn't seem to be a one-off. She does, at least at this point in her life, seem very much interested in being with women. And apparently she needs someone to put on a pedestal and idolize and try to capture and kidnap and chain up in her basement. The fact that Sumire sees the distinct appeal of both Ayukua and Shikaru makes her kind of a kindred spirit of Kasuga in the end. And Kasuga tells us this much with his voiceover, and his expression in the final photo reflects it. It's a contented smile. And if you'd like to wear a contented smile, not to mention find someone to put up on a pedestal and idolize, I would like to direct you to patreon.com slash teamalmy, where you can become a patron of Team Almy Studios, the podcast production studio that brings you this fine program i send everyone merch who joins the patreon that is guaranteed no matter where on earth you live also we've got a bonus content that goes up all of the time it's exclusive to patreon you're never going to see this bonus content without joining the patreon and that includes a video in which i make a katsu sand 
that looks somewhat similar to the Katsusans depicted in Orange Road, I at least made a good effort, and I promise you it tasted delicious. And if you want to learn how to make a Katsusan or just watch me cut the tip of my finger off, that video is waiting for you on Patreon. So please consider joining patreon.com slash teamalmy. I love and appreciate all of my patrons. I want to say thank you very much to all of my patrons from the bottom of my heart. I also want to encourage you to go check out Creatures of the Night podcast. That's one of my other podcasts, and it's a crazy, kooky show. We talk about smoking weed on the beach and uh, doing DMT and meeting aliens. It's it's not a uh, political show at all. I do promise you that. You'll enjoy it. You need more podcasts to listen to. I got more podcasts to listen to. I'll put a link in the show notes for Creatures of the Night. I want to say again, to all who have listened to this episode, if you can hear the sound of my voice at this moment, I want to say Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I very much appreciate it. We're getting down to just the last handful of episodes, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to come. We've got uh, more OVAs to come. We've got two movies. We've got a lot more content to come this year. I promise to keep the content coming, and I'm going to keep it packed out, and that's before we even get to starting the manga. So uh, trust me when I say This show still has legs, and we are going to keep it going. And I will leave you with another wonderful Earl Knight remix. And I want to say thank you again, and I'll see you next week. 